The ultimate goal to me is that every child in the Treasure Valley has access to quality early childhood education. All right, you're listening to Idaho Speakeasy. I'm Mike Turner with Phil Mount, and we're on a mission to uncover and share the stories of Idaho's finest entrepreneurs, community leaders, local icons, and those who are impacting our community. Today in the Speakeasy, we have Lori Facilla. She is the executive director for Giraffe Laugh, and she's here to tell us all about it. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. All right. So we had the pleasure of seeing Lori speak last night at Impact Club, and she did a great job speaking in front of a bunch of people in in town. And uh, I know she was a bit nervous on the stage there, but she crushed it. She did so good. And uh, and I, you know, we just learned recently that you've been with Giraffe Laugh since, you know, what? How many years now? Uh, about twenty-seven. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, let's. Can you just tell people what Giraffe Laugh is, and sure. so they can know what? Well, at Giraffe Laugh, we ensure school readiness, empower families, and build strong futures. And we have four locations that are early childhood centers. Uh, three of them are year-round, and one is located at the Marion Pritchett High School for pregnant and parenting teens. So we provide early education and nurturing to them and uh, their families, lots of parent education, and then things like food pantries and so forth at the sites to support families. So, um, okay, uh, it's been around for a while then. You've been there quite some time. Yes. So, so how did, what was kind of the origin story of how it came about? Well, it was created several years ago in response to a need for drop-in child care in Boise, actually. And uh, when I took over about a year in, it was obvious that a lot of these kids just really needed more consistency. A lot of times they were very low income or in shelters and so forth. And as soon as their moms or dads found a job, they'd have to move centers. And we decided that it made more sense to be a full-time center and really be serving families from start to end. That's terrific. So you last night you told a really, really interesting story of, uh, of a woman that, um, you know, needed child care for an infant to be able to, to get to work. Could you, could you sure. share that with us? Um, this gal came to us several years ago and is just really one of many. Uh, When she showed up, she was holding her little inspiration in her arms, which was about a three-month-old baby boy. And uh, we didn't have room for him at the time. And so she enrolled him in a place that was uh, right across from the mall where she worked. And it was great because she was able to just uh, go over and visit him quite often. Uh, Her breaks were always at different times. But she started to become concerned because whenever she did show up there, the provider was in a rocking chair reading a book and the children were often on the floor in their seats crying and the book was a romance novel yeah. <laughs> and one so hopefully she wasn't reading it aloud uh, no evidently yeah. not well we yeah. hope not anyway <laughs> yeah good point phil anyway um one particular day she showed up and he was um sitting in a seat and just fussing and fussing and she grabbed his little toe to wiggle it to say hey I'm here everything's okay and his socks were soaked Uh, he was wet from the waist down to his socks from not being changed and from his chin to his waist just from drooling because he was teething yeah so she scooped him up and you know took him home and 
made a pretty tearful call and said, I'm in crisis, you know, I, I really need some help or I'm going to lose my job. And, you know, our, our job is to keep families employed, right? Yeah, right. So that they can stay self-sufficient. So um, she brought him in the very next day and that had to have been a pretty tough day, right? right. You know, to trust somebody like us, someone new. But um, she talks a lot about the first day she walked in. Uh, the person holding him uh, was named Joy, and she had him in her lap and was rocking him and reading a children's book. And he had a little bib on, so he was, you know, he not soaked. Dry. Yeah, he was dry <laughs> as he could be. And, and you know, she really started to hope. And um, this little guy grew up in her center, and she got the support she needed through scholarships and then, of course, our food pantries and so forth. And he was so ready when he went to kindergarten. It was amazing. Great little reader, um, just ready to go, and, and was in gifted and talented, very, um, you know, very successful school career, and went on to college and has completed three years toward his engineering degree. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And his mom told him this story when he graduated from high school. And, you know, he got really choked up and said, Mom, what would have happened to us if um, Giraffe Leff had said no? And, you know, for every child we say no, yes to, we say no to three others. So oh, our goodness. goal is to say no to more, or say yes <laughs> to more kids, <laughs> not no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a really compelling story. Yeah, and Thank and you. so, um, what are the ages in? Is it you said three months? So right. So when is it? When is uh, someone eligible? Yeah. Well, at our regular programs, at six weeks once they've had their first set of immunizations. Uh, but the Marion Pritchett School, because the moms have to get back to school so quickly, uh, or they'll fail. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> they've done studies on them. The babies there are ten days old. Wow! Oh wow! Yeah, well, and uh, and it's needed because a lot of times these fo- these families, you know, they and these these moms, they don't have an alternative. They have to work, and exactly. and uh, even if it, and so it's kind of that. I remember when we went through that process of trying to with our first daughter. It's like okay, we we went and talked to so many different places because sure. you're so scared. Mm-hmm. about make you want to like it's make the biggest a, decision of right. your life right? and they're with you know your child for so mm-hmm. many hours right. that it's a big deal and uh so i i know this must be a really um emotional and 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 trying option and and then you know not many places don't always offer maternity breaks and right. things like that so i know it's quite a challenge for a lot of households it really is. And, and that's where the scholarships come in, you know, being able to give that access to all families, regardless of their income, because there's a lot of families out there that have a lot of choices. You know, like you said, you looked at a lot, but um, there is a huge portion of our population that have very few limited choices. And so making sure that every child has access to quality is, is incredibly important. So, what other programs do you do you have, or or uh, at at Giraffe Laugh, right? Well, from the various stages. Uh, thank you for asking. Um, 
We have, you know, infant, toddler, preschool, of course, and then we have school age, and we have a summer school age program going on right now. Um, but beyond that, we partner with several organizations and entities just to really, you know, bring in uh, and impact our families. So. Uh, an example would be Ballet Idaho. Oh. We partner with them, and the children get to dance uh, for about nine weeks, and then they perform for their parents, and then they get to go to the ballet with their family. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And um, the Botanical Gardens, they're great about doing programs for us, um, Bogus Basin. So our goal is to make sure that when kids get to school, they have those same experiences and the same vocabulary as their regular income peers. Right. So there's things like swimming, gymnastics, all sorts of things. But um, we also have food pantries at all of our sites so that children don't go hungry. And we serve breakfast, lunch and snack every day as well. The goal is to really, you know, make sure that that children have the nutritional needs that they that they require. Yeah. You uh, you mentioned that um, you have to turn away a lot of, you know, a lot of families that uh, are inquiring. Um, so how is it, what is your criteria? How does you go about that? And um, what is the process? Uh, we, our waiting list right now, there's about 500 children. Mm. So what we do is we have what we call the real world mix at Giraffe Laugh, where some of our families are regular to high income and some of our families are low to no income. And that's because it it doesn't do anyone justice to separate, you know, and segregate families. So uh, basically, if we have an opening for a high income family, we usually will enroll the next person on the list for that. And then the same with the low income families. You know, if we have a scholarship that becomes available, we want to definitely use that up right away. But occasionally there's, you know, some families in crisis, you're homeless or a foster child. Sometimes a person that adopts has been on our list for several years, but they never know when they're going to get their child, you know. And so uh, we definitely make exceptions and we'll move people to the top of the list for, you know, different things. Um, yeah. Like as mentioned before. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. And you've got, you say, four locations. Yes. So. Do I understand that you're going to be adding a new location? Well, we would love to. It's it's time to try to address that that waiting list. Yeah. And we're looking at opportunities. We're always looking for opportunities to partner yeah. and ways that we can build on, on what we've started. Okay. So is that something you can talk about publicly or? Well, I can tell you that we're we're looking at it how's that okay all right, all right. <laughs> it's, so a, it's it's a, definitely it's a, a goal it's, it's in our strategic exciting, plan yeah it's a pretty yes. exciting location and yes yeah. yeah yeah we're really excited about it but as soon as we have more information i'd love to come back and tell you more okay and and so you're a non-profit organization how does that work because you know most people most child care centers are for profit sure. and um i i think listeners would be kind of interested to know how that how that how you make that sure. work and how that yeah. Well, we have a sliding scale, so our regular income families pay full fees. And then our lower income families, we have four tiers, and hopefully families are able to work their way through those tiers, right? Sure. As their independence builds, whether it's they're going to school or they're getting raises at their job or whatever the case may be. And then we provide the scholarship that makes up that difference. So if your base rate is 800, but you're only paying 200, that 
that 600 has to come from somewhere every month, right? And we have grants. We have great partnerships with United Way and City of Boise. Um, lots of foundations because of that brain research we were talking about earlier. People are really wanting to invest in those early years. But lots of individual donors, too, that really feel passionate about uh, this is where you make the changes so we can put all these other nonprofits out of work, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that are dealing with problems that happen after early childhood. Right. So let's go back to that uh, brain research again because sure. I find that really fascinating. So uh, explain that again. So when. Um, you know, when you're when children are going through their the, your 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 program, they're they're experiencing a high level of brain growth, and I I just want right. to slow that down and talk sure. about that again. Sure. Well, those little babies, uh, think about those ten days old babies, even those six week old babies. Their brains are only twenty five percent developed when they arrive. And that's their job. That brain is all those synapses are connecting constantly and growing by the millions on a daily basis. And when they have um, great care, good nutrition, they're comforted when they cry, uh, all those types of things, the brain just explodes, right? There's language going on. There's all these incredible things going on and so forth. Um, but if they have what we call ACEs, which is adverse childhood experiences, uh, the brain really slows down on development. It starts to protect the body. And so, um, you know, in good quality childhood programs, children's brains are expanding at an incredible rate. And by the time they graduate to go to kindergarten, their brains are 90% developed. So we have this incredible opportunity to impact that child's trajectory uh, for the rest of their life, really, yeah, yeah. you know, setting down that amazing foundation. I don't know if you can tell, but it's one of my favorite parts of life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it must be you've been there for, you know, yeah. 30 years. A few years, yes. yeah. So talk more about that foundation. Uh, what, what are the kinds of things that, that uh, kids should be exposed to or that you Sure. You well, um, you know, it all starts with that in, in utero, of course. You know, we want healthy moms, so we have healthy babies, but... Uh, definitely being held and loved and cuddled and responded to as infants. You know, it starts right there. Infants that aren't getting those things are fed when they should and so forth. Um, their brains are really slowing down, you know, and not making all those great little connections. So lots of language, lots of books, um, lots of social experiences, uh, lot, you know, vocabulary, all of it, counting, uh, walking around, just looking at things, you know, yeah. play is children's work and they learn so much through their play. And so you're able to just, you know, expose them to all these different things and, and ballet and gymnastics and swimming, you know, so you're working yeah. on lots of different domains. Yeah. Do, you, do you work on language as well? I mean, terms of like oh, absolutely. second languages or... That kind of a thing? We do have bilingual teachers in most of our programs. And so Spanish seems to be the one that we work on the most. Sure, yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And sign language when they're little. Yeah. Uh, for the infants and toddlers, there's a lot of sign language going on too. Yeah. Yeah. So, previous career, I had a chance to live abroad for a while. And it never failed to amaze me the number of small children 
that could speak two and three languages. Right. Right. They could speak to me in English. They could carry on, you know, their mother tongue. And they might know another one from the kids that they've, you know, made friends with around the corner. And you know why that is? It's that brain that we're talking about. With languages, it's like a slice. So they have a slice for English, a slice for the French, a slice for the German, a slice for the... Yeah, uh, you know, Spanish or whatever languages they're learning and uh, their brains can do that because it's growing so rapidly. And it's it's a really cool phenomenon to watch. So you really want to teach languages before they're five. And those become life skills. They do. And 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 you'll notice they don't have accents in any of those languages. Exactly. Yeah. They sound they don't sound like Americans trying to speak Spanish. They sound like Spaniards trying to speak Spanish or right. Mexican families yeah. speaking Spanish. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. yeah. And it is, it's really fascinating. And I, and I know it seems like a lot of uh, this discussion hovers around this topic of early education, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, educating, offering educating opportunities for kids before they go to elementary school. Right. And, um, it sounds like with your program, that's a big part of at least trying to get them ready for school. And, mm-hmm. and, and so maybe touch on that more about some of the things that uh, it made, my understanding was is there's a lot of uh, strategic stuff that you're trying to do to get them ready. Right. And so right. What, what, what kind of things are you having to do? Well, interestingly enough, when, when you do a kindergarten readiness test, some of the basic things they need to know are at minimum 10 letters, how to count to 10, how to write their name, standing in the line, so on and so forth. And those sound like very simple skills. Um, but most of our kids blow that away. You know, they can do all of the alphabet, upper and lower case. They can count to 100. You know, they've been writing their name for several years and maybe not years, but for at least a year before they go. Um, and really focusing in on that literacy. And the reason we really focus on the literacy, and we focus on math as well, but the literacy piece is so important. Um, something I mentioned last night was that the our sheriff says he can predict prison populations off of third grade reading levels. And what we know about kids is when they enter school ready, they're more likely to be on reading level by third grade. They're also more likely to graduate from high school, go on to college, own a home. There's a whole list of things that I didn't have time to talk about last night because I only have five minutes, but <laughs> it's all good stuff. Even things like avoiding drugs and alcohol and, and, um, and teen, they can get this teen from, pregnancy. This is all based on the research of yes. from a third grade reading level. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, this is all based on quality early childhood programs, actually having that quality early childhood start will get you to that point, right? Um, the, there was a great study done, the Perry Preschool Study, and they, they've studied them, these children for more than 40 years, and they took them out of an inner city school or any inner city area, and they had a control group and a non-control group. And what they found was those children, there were the magic things were um, children being in a caring, loving, educational environment, parents having the support they needed during that, which is where our empowering families piece comes in uh, those two things together uh, made for much more successful adults the the amount of 
children that didn't end up in prison, for instance, was so much lower than in the control group. So um, it, you know, it really impacts our community and our children. Yeah. So yeah, invest now or spend Thank later. You. Right? right, right. And some economists say there's anywhere between a seven and seventeen dollar return on early childhood investment. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's um, kind of significant. It's very significant. I'm trying to think of the guy's name, Rolnick is his last name. He's one of them. But there's several that have uh, definitely put a dollar amount to early childhood investment. Yeah. So meanwhile, I also heard just recently um, a statistic that at least uh, nationally, and I don't know how that applies here locally, um, that child care is now more expensive than most people's mortgage. Oh, our mortgage, mortgage, yeah. Right? They're spending more per month on Mm -hmm. child care than they are on mortgage payments. It is very expensive. And quality child care is more expensive because quality usually means lower ratios. Yeah. So you're charging more per child. And in Idaho, we're one of only five states that doesn't have any state-supported funding going toward early childhood. And... That is what so many other states are doing. Yeah. They're they're really trying to help close that gap for parents because they recognize that, gosh, if we're not dealing with this now on the front end, we're dealing with it later in so many other issues in schools or in our criminal system. Right. I kind of remember there's a there was a push though to do that. Right. Was that yes. It's, it's been in front of the legislature a few times. It has. I don't think anything yeah. has ever made it out of committee. No. So. But we're still hoping it's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime, okay. Someday we'll get caught up. <laughs> yeah. so, right. Well, I think, you know. Well, that, what, what is the opposition? Is it just because of the cost, you know, the, the proposed cost the, of it? Therefore, sure, it's yeah. something new. And where is that going to come from? But so many other states, what they've been able to do is show that that comes from less children being in remedial education or in special education or the dropout rates become lower. But beyond that, uh, the the most important piece of it is that in Idaho, only half our kids are ready when they enter kindergarten. So you think back to what our sheriff says about that, you know, in third grade reading levels and how important it is for us to really address that as a state. And if you're from a low-income family, it's more like only one in four of you will be ready. And and a lot of that has to do with that accessibility that we just talked about. You know, they just don't have the same exact opportunities as their regular income peers for yeah. that quality program. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, in, in a lot of areas, in this state in particular, a lot of rural areas, right, there's just, it's... It's difficult to it is. right to get kids into a, right. a preschool or mm-hmm. early early childhood care mm-hmm. program. They're probably not available even. Absolutely, that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. What is it? How does your funding work? I mean, how are you? You know, obviously you're providing these scholarships and sure. and trying to make it uh, this early child care avail- available for right. all um, households incomes levels and uh so how does how does that you know uh, where do you get most of your funding from well um as i mentioned before united way is one of our funders that helps with scholarships um the city of boise through city development block grant funds also support scholarships for the same reason you know they are recognizing that this is a problem and let's hit it on the forefront 
uh, lots of foundations through the Idaho Community Foundation, especially, but then a a lot of individual donors that are very passionate about our work. And we, the way that we set up ours is kind of on a five-year plan where donors can commit for five years. And if you think about that, that goes from that 25% to the 90, right? It's yeah. really neat. Right, so right. A lot serving of people, that, the child all the way through. Right, yeah. right. And a lot of people like that imagery, and I do too. It, you know, for me, it's great. But that also helps us plan, you know, for some of the things like you mentioned earlier, Phil, to be able to go, okay, we want to serve more children. How do we do it? Let's plan ahead. So um, we have uh, lots of individuals that are helping us in that way as well. Yeah. So talk about the folks that that work at Giraffe Laugh, right? Oh, those what amazing kind of teachers, they, right? Yeah, the, what kind of skills <laughs> do they come to the table with? And, and yeah. yeah. Well, probably number one, um, nurturing people who are very passionate about children and that's number one and families being passionate about families right because when that little person comes through the door they're a piece of a group and you want to include that entire group so uh, we have a real diverse group of teachers um, but those are the two big things nurturers and and passionate we have several that are um, have their four-year degree in, in early childhood and or working on it. And if they're not working on that, they're working on a something called a, um, it's an associate's degree. And I'm sorry, it escapes me right now, but, the, but working on, oh, CDA, Child Development Associates as okay. well. Yeah, and then we all engage with the, um, Idaho Association for the Education of Ch- Young Children. They have a professional um, program that all of our teachers are a part of, and and they can get training and training hours and training money and that so sort of thing. Absolutely, right. And one of the key things to that is something called strengthening families, and that's where you're learning about these five. Uh, areas that really help with strengthening families, help them be stronger, and that and that only uplifts that child's experience as well. Yeah. What are some of these five things? Well, they're called protective factors. Okay. And you're going to put me on the spot now because oh. I'm going to forget <laughs> one, right? right. Well, <laughs> and, I can... No, I can. I think I can do it. I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> so the protective factors are social connections, okay. right? Okay. If we've just had a baby, sometimes we feel really isolated. Mm. We need social connections. Another important one is concrete support in times of need. So that's where things like, uh, I can't afford swim lessons for my child. I'm so embarrassed. What do I do? We have scholarships for that so every child can participate. Or I'm hungry. My food stamps are gone. What do I do? You walk back to the pantry when you pick up your child and you get food and you leave, right? So those are real concrete supports. Or we recognize someone is maybe in a situation they shouldn't be in and being able to refer them to someplace like the Women's and Children's Alliance, you know. So that's real concrete types of support. Um, knowledge of child development. And the reason that's important is if you think a one-year-old should be potty trained and you're spanking them because they're not, you know, you're, you're, you need some help. And, and all parents need that. And that's where our empowering parents piece comes from. Yeah. You know, I mean, I didn't know anything. Sure. 
And you're, right. And, but you, you're like, you're just making guesses right. all the time. Right. right. Yeah. I think some people they might have a good family support system, uh, but not everyone does. Like, yeah. I didn't have any, fa- we didn't have family around. So we're just like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know. Well, and hopefully you had a good example to work from. So think about like oh, yeah. uh, some of our no, it's, it's, our younger parents, they oh, don't yeah. always have a great example. Yeah, we we had some good examples from our best examples were some parents that we saw that it was the first time where we got really excited about having kids uh-huh. because of course we had been around, you know, family and other friends have kids and it seemed like wow, okay. You know, it's challenging, so let's make sure we're ready. And <laughs> um, but we also saw some parents who had this way of doing things we had not mm-hmm. seen before, and we're like, "Wow, their style is so um, awesome!" And the, and their family unit was so strong, and we're like taking notes. You That's know. who oh, I right. want to be. Yeah, right. right. We're taking yeah. lots of yeah. notes, and then even we got to see these kids grow up, and I we thought that these parents didn't an amazing job and still were themselves and they still got to do the things that they wanted to do. They somehow did so many things I didn't think were possible when you said, okay, we're going to have kids. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, you have to say no to a lot of these other things. And they showed that, no, you can do, you know, everything you want to do and and maybe make it more enriching with kids. Um, And so it is great to have good examples, Mm -hmm. but yeah, without, without, you know, uh, without that, and they weren't always around, we were constantly like, I don't know. What do you think we should do? You know, it's constant of. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I, we all start out that way. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing I love about the team program is mm. the center itself acts as a lab for them. So they're able to go in and get credit, actually. So oftentimes when the moms first get there, they're either pregnant or just had a baby and they are in the lab and we also have dads at the school now so dads also get to go in and really learn about the infants and some of those best practices you know that that you can be doing how do you soothe them you know should you swaddle them when should you swaddle them when shouldn't you you know so on and so forth and safe sleep all those really important things but also just like you said you know the modeling how to be a good how to be a good person to your child and mm-hmm. help them be a good person really yeah important. i mean I, there's, I think it's really impactful if you can just see it in action yeah versus like telling this is what you should do right, right? which reading is reading it more, from a book right or it's a little bit more confrontational and someone's like this is how you should do it and then it's like you know instantly your brain's like wait you know no. right right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i'm gonna do it the way i want to do right. it yeah um but yeah so i think that's good modeling i um you know, I'm really curious. You know, I, something I I think I read on your site, um, which is at giraffelot.org, yes. is that, uh, you know, when parents have to be in, involved so many hours, mm-hmm. can you explain that a little sure. bit? Sure. Yeah. So we have probably, oh my gosh, to over 200 volunteers every year, and a, and a good number of those are our parents. What we do is we ask all parents to volunteer 20 hours a year, and we try to provide a lot of opportunities for that, right? There's something called a PAC at each center, which is a parent advisory committee, and anyone, any parent can be a part of that. And they come up with activities for their particular center, like some are doing gardens or some are painting the rooms or decorating or buying things for the center, whatever the case may be, whatever it is that their individual packs decide. But beyond that, we have all of our regular things like Hyde Park Street Fair, which is a four-day event. We need lots of volunteers for. Yeah, right. That's quite the uh, setup you have there. it's It's a lot of work. So... 
lots of opportunities for parents to get involved and then just in the classroom. So uh, one of the reasons we did that was just when people give back, you know, when they have opportunities to give back, it makes you feel good. You know, you may be receiving something that you really, really need to give your child the very best that you can. But when you're able to give back, it's really, it, it's so satisfying for parents. And studies have been done that when parents are involved in their children's school, it sends that message to the child that school is important and that they're important too, right? right? right. And so we're uh, educating our future PTA, PTO members, right? <laughs> you know, they go off <laughs> to right. the schools. Yeah, I can't getting, believe how many of them. For the right, district, right. right. Yeah. So we're doing them a favor. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It, it seems like... Um, I also might create this opportunity to give them some, I don't know, maybe some ownership and what, you know, sure. they're investing in this process and, but maybe feel like on the outside of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know when I, when my wife and I volunteered, um, at the child center that our kids went to, it, I mean, we, these, uh, these, uh, these great teachers and people that are watching our kids, um, they, they, they're often at with them more hours than we are. Sure. So it's like, uh, and, and we can see when our little interactions, when we go pick them up, drop them off, you know, we get these little slivers of, you know, um, opportunities to interact, but, um, it's, it was, it was, I found it to be, uh, it's so much more, um, uh, you, you just felt good about what you're doing because you could see it in action. Right. You could see the how they worked with not just your kids but the other kids, and you see it that you know the positive influence mm-hmm. it was doing, and not just you know for their you know even socially for um, socializing with other kids, which mm-hmm. with you know we thought was an important aspect of why you know of one course. of the one of those benefits right. you know, and uh, I just really thought it was it, it meant a lot more to me when I could you know, see it in action, be a part of it and participate right. in it. And feel a part of it. Yeah. Well, we always say when you join the Giraffe family, you never get to really leave, right? <laughs> You're just part of this bigger family. But you mentioned socialization, which is so important. Uh, and that kind of goes back to that kindergarten skill. Uh, if you can make a friend in school, you, you're more successful. But if you're worried about making friends or you're not making friends or you're an outsider for some reason, and especially if that starts young, you have this reputation as the kid that, you know, nobody wants to be a friend with my gosh, that's hard. So social skills are definitely one of those domains that we work on quite a bit. Yeah. So, and that's, a particular kind of a training that that the your your staff has to be able to yes. help with that socialization. Yes, we actually and, have a specific curriculum for uh, social skills and so forth. But then also just to talk about feelings, which is another one of the protective factors. When children can talk about their feelings, um, it is more likely that they will report abuse if they're being abused. So it seems like an odd thing, right? But if yeah. they have words to put to their feelings, they are way better at expressing themselves when they're in trouble. And so we have little feeling wheels that the kids do quite a bit where they get to come in and point their pointer at, you know, how they're feeling. Or if they get sad, they can go over and change their pointer. And and then they get to use that vocabulary and someone reflects it for them. I see you're feeling sad. 
maybe you're just disappointed because you didn't get to play in the blocks. Yes, I'm disappointed. You know, that sort of thing. So you're building vocabulary and and helping them get in touch with their social skill or with their emotions, but then also helping with those social skills, giving them the words. And so at a young age, is it, uh, is it possible to sort of intervene with kids that either might fall victim to bullies or mm-hmm. become bullies um, sure. at, at, that, at that time? Sure, that's, that's the time is to, in those early years. But if um, we have the, the curriculum we use is called Second Step, and it goes all the way up to, I think, at least sixth grade. And we serve kids in our summer program, K through six, but we really focus on it in that first through third grade. Usually by fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, our, a lot of these kids have been through our programs for years and they're doing great. Yeah. Um, but really, you know, nipping that in the bud early on is important and, you know, having those conversations. Yeah. It, it is, I can speak firsthand about that because my, my, uh, one of my daughters has, str- has struggled um, and socially in school and she's kind of just a little bit different in her own way and we mm-hmm. love that about her. In fact, sure. you most... Uh, most adults don't are always surprised to hear that she has troubles with making friends um, because you meet her and she's so social and engaging right. and mm-hmm. doesn't have any problem talking to uh, adults. The adults, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and so it's been really tough. To, but you know, for a while there, and it's better now. But for a while there, um, because of that struggle to make friends um, at school, and and then it kind of snowballing a bit because now she doesn't even go out to the playground she'll just stay and read or mm-hmm. hang out with the librarian or something right mm-hmm. um is that it kind of it makes it you know even harder to you know find a path right and uh and so this her not enjoying school as much because right. of that right right um Likewise, my other daughter is doing just fine in the friend department <laughs> like school is very exciting right. and you know uh you know those kinds of things, and so I could see you could, you could see how important socialization sure. is. And of course, she has now found a path, and she's doing great there now. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was a, it was uh, surprising to me how impactful that was. And and I, you could I think from looking at it, you know, I think some of her teachers were even um, it it's. You know, to, he- to hear that she was depressed coming home, they were a little bit surprised because mm-hmm. she was sharing her feelings. Sure. And, and I was like, oh, you know, and so we knew that it was an important. And I, so if I know if it's happening in our household, I know it's happening in many households. Mm-hmm. And to see how depressed, you know, someone can get from that is it was kind of alarming it was just like we gotta fix this somehow. right <laughs> right yeah. because right. it was it was she was so depressed so, well so and it goes back to that social connection yeah. that everyone needs right it's not yeah. just the family it's not just the adults but you know she really needed those and so academics will really suffer and you think about teenagers when they first go off to middle school and they're so nervous Teachers know that first month, you know, there's not a whole lot of learning going on. It's just all the shuffling around, like, who's going to be my friend? Who am I going to sit with at lunch? You know, that sort of thing. So it's one of the most important things. Luckily, we've had some teachers that were really helpful with that because we talked about it and like, well, I think so-and-so in the class or her would be a great mix. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the teacher now knows the individual personalities better Mm -hmm. and would see compare them, them up yeah right, right. Yep. and so uh, but 
gosh, you know, that is such an important skill. And if you can get better at it earlier age, or if you're a parent, knowing how to maybe learn some tools to help them or spot it. Um, And because, you know, we didn't really see it because she was so social Mm -hmm. all the time. And then we just like, why are you struggling at school? We don't understand. Um, And we did eventually learn. And then she kind of found her own path through. But uh, it's... uh, I, I, I love the fact that there is uh, emphasis on that giraffe mm-hmm. laugh because I think yeah. it's such a great opportunity to learn some, you know, some ways to solve some of those problems early on. So you have some right. strategies sure. when you're going into a new classroom and <laughs> a new environment, right. which it is right. like that first month is like, you know, a yeah. tricky, a tricky place. It sometimes. is. Yeah, it is. Well, one thing that we do, too, is uh, have parent teacher conferences. So people always laugh when we, you know, they enroll their six month old and they're like, you want me to come to a parent teacher conference? And we're like, <laughs> we really do. Yeah, because <laughs> what we want to do is celebrate all those cool milestones, yeah. you know, that they're that yeah. they're hitting. And the cool thing is you start that conversation at six months old or three months old or whatever, uh, when they're three and maybe they are having some difficulties in one of these other domains, you know, you're able, you've had those conversations, you know, you're really comfortable together and you're able to say, uh, I think we need a referral here. You know, we, how about some speech? You know, Mm -hmm. we really need to work on some speech or whatever the case may be. And we have speech teachers that'll come into the center or they'll, you know, we can walk them over to the school. So, you know, any, I mean, starting those conversations early is, is critical and developing those relationships with parents. So you're right. I think that is proud of that. I, I, and it should be because I think that is really a great model to, because a lot of times you go now into a parent teacher conference and I think a lot of people don't even know what to ask about. Right. Sure. Right. You're like, (laughs) how are the grades? Uh, Yeah. You know? And I, I feel like um, it's so much of it is, you know, how are they doing? You know, like, yes. well, I want to know, they're with them so many hours. Like, what's your, what's your gauge? You're like, how are they, how are they holding okay, up? Okay, that's funny you say yeah. that. My first question was always, do they have friends? Right. Is do they a, have a friend? Right. You know, yeah. at least one. Yeah. And if so, who is it? Yeah. You know, tell me so yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? But same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So with, um, so with Draft Laugh, um, so you guys, you mentioned earlier in the, in the program that um, you, you have to turn away a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, what does your future look like? I mean, I know you're working on a path forward to serve more children. Um, um, where do you hope to go? You- well, we the ultimate goal to me is that every child in the Treasure Valley has access to quality early childhood education, right? That doesn't mean that giraffe life has to be the end all for all those kids. That's just my vision that Mm -hmm. that happens one way or another. So whatever we can do to support quality programs, either through uh, state funding, you know, additional state funding, spreading the word about how important this is so that people recognize when there are opportunities for things like um, the city might want to do a pilot program or whatever the case may be, uh, that people can get behind that and go, oh, yeah, I remember when Lori said that was really important and why, and I understand why, right? Yeah. So really, I, th- I feel like our entire organization, our board, our teachers, everybody is an advocate for, you know, quality programs for young children and access to it. Yeah. And our goal is, of course, to meet as many of those needs as we can. But gosh, every year they're aging out, you know, and they're headed off to school. And 
and we're hoping by third grade they're on track, but we don't know. So yeah, it's to be an advocate always. And yeah. what advice would you might have for folks who maybe uh, whether they have applied and there's not space in the place that mm-hmm. they've you know tried to get into, like mm-hmm. a draft lab or some other place? Um, if they are um, trying to handle it on their own, what are some of the things that advice you'd have for uh, parents with young young children sure. that um, they can maybe be doing either at home or um, or maybe some questions to be asking if they're interviewing uh, places mm-hmm. to Great. take their kids? Yeah. Well, on that Idaho AEYC website, the Idaho Association for the Education of Young Children, there's something called Idaho Stars, and they have a rating system for centers. So mm-hmm. you can be star rated or you're not star rated. So they can start to look for quality there. There's also um, some quality ratings and so forth that are connected on City of Boise. So you can begin your search just looking for quality, right? Um, and then there's something called the Idaho Child Care Program, which is a federal program that comes down through the state. And it is a subsidy program. So applying for that, if they think they qualify, if they don't, you know, unfortunately, they may not have a lot of choices. But they can still look at those centers and call and see if there's room and get on as many lists as possible. My number one recommendation is if you even think you're going to be pregnant, put your name on a list because, okay. yeah, infant spaces are the most difficult to find. And if you know you're going to have to go right back to work, you want to definitely be on a list even a year out because your name will most likely come up within that year, hopefully, yeah. you know, at Giraffe Laugh or anywhere else. Um, second part to the question I'm trying to remember. Well, if I was going to say like at home, like, you know, strategies. Oh, at home. Yeah. yeah, sure. I just think there's uh, reading to children is probably number one, having conversations with them, getting down on the floor, puzzles, you know, taking them out into the world, going for walks, um, really positive social experiences with other families, you know, find your tribe. And do things with your tribe. You know, there's so many mops groups around, you know, that that love to get together and and hang out. If you have that luxury, you know, mm-hmm. that's the thing. If you don't, um, it's just really important to try to find that quality care wherever you can. You mentioned reading to kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I've heard many, many studies show how impactful that is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as a parent, uh, you may have, find that hard to believe because they're like barely listening or, <laughs> you know, I don't know. You just like, uh, I remember so many times like, this is having any impact. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but, but there's been lots of studies that say how important that is. Okay. So it sounds but, like your little girl you were talking about is very verbal. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Right. Okay. Yes. So she got those words from somewhere. She heard those somewhere, right? Okay. Um, uh, in books, we use words that we don't always use in everyday life, like someone replied. I guess when we're talking about emails, we might use the word replied. But, you know, there's just all these amazing words that are in books. But there's also something called the 30 million word gap. Oh, right. And you may have heard of this before, it sounds like. But by age three, a child from a low-income family has heard 30 million less words than one from a higher-income family. And much of that is just the, the lack of books and access to books and conversations with adults. And when you think about it, a a 
family who's really struggling financially or if they're living in a shelter or they're, they've got three jobs, you know, so on and so forth, they have time for the bare minimum. Right. And so really taking time to have conversations with children or to read to them, uh, it's just so much easier to hand them a, a phone or, you know, have them in front of the TV while you're making dinner. And, and those parents are doing the very best that they can, you know, to sustain their families and so forth. But they don't have time for all that. And chances are you guys had some time for that. And as a result, you can see that your daughter just really, you know, her vocabulary just took off. And so what we see is a lot of times kids will join us when they're about one or two with zero language. And it only takes a couple months and they're speaking full sentences. All of a sudden, they're just inundated with all this language. And it's like, oh, oh, my goodness. You mm -hmm. know, I could be doing this, too. Yeah, right? right. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. So very, cool. very important to keep reading. Always. Yeah. Well, it's uh, almost summertime. What well, is summertime now? <laughs> and so I know you have some. You say you have summer programming. So what kind of we do? What kind of things are the kids at Giraffe Laugh going to be up to this summer? Oh kind of gosh, we we're kind of focusing on some STEM stuff this year. Hmm. We uh, HP gave us a grant, which was great, and they do something called Forty Days of of Giving. I think it is called, and uh, we went there Tuesday and. One little group built bots while the other w learned about coding, and then they switched. And so we had little kids going into kindergarten learning about coding, which was really fun. And That's they built little bots. Oh, yeah, it was really great. And we have a lot of equipment that we've purchased recently that is all around coding, and it's all for preschool, threes and up. Wow. I know, right? Wow. That's what I said when I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is coding? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cool. So, But they, you know, with our school-age program, they're definitely out in the world. They're learning to swim. Um, they're going, we have a patriot, patriotism week, you know, which is 4th of July, of course, and uh, all sorts of different themes. And you can find all that on our website. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds like, uh, I, well, we don't have much time, so I, I want to just basically say that it's uh, it's been a, it's really cool to see that there's an organization like this in our community for one. Thank you. And that uh, there's some. I mean, you've been at it for 27 years at Giraffe Laugh, which is uh, quite an accomplishment and um, a commitment to serving these these young children. And so I think that's uh, quite admirable and Thank awesome. Thank you. Thank so, you. Uh, yeah, so again, we've been speaking with Lori Fasella. She's been um, she's the executive director at Giraffe Lab and been there for, since 1991. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can find more information at her uh, at their website, giraffelab.org. Yeah, Lori, any final words before we run out of time? No, just thank you for having me. And I loved Impact Club last night. That was great. And we have something called Little Shoes Big Dreams Tours that are twice a month. And they're for one hour. And we don't ask for money or anything like that. It's just so people can see if they want to become engaged with us and hear firsthand accounts of uh, stories from people that we've served in the past so we'd love to invite any of you and it's on our website awesome terrific yeah well we'll be putting uh, all our details about draft laugh on our website idospeakeasy.com we'll be posting this 
this interview there too in case you missed any of it but sounds like if you have any information you want to learn more about giraffe laugh just go to giraffelaugh.org laura it's been a pleasure thank you having you here and hearing you last night at impact club is so much fun um looking forward to continuing to learn more about giraffe laugh it's uh, been it's been really awesome to learn more about this cool organization in the the community it's been great to be here thanks laura thank you phil Mm -hmm.